We've been in our series, Grace Principles for Parenting, and tonight we come to a very uh, important topic of applying discipline in parenting. And I want to look at two primary passages of Scripture, one in Proverbs 29 and verse 17, and the other in Hebrews 12. And I'm going to read Hebrews 12, verse 3 through 11 here in just a moment. Uh, And we considered last the formative nature of parenting. And the formative nature of parenting is that we are to teach the truth. And as we do that, provide good examples of character, good character for our children to emulate, along with examples of how to stand strong when life is not easy because it's never easy. It's only varying levels of difficulty. And the goal of formative parenting is to shape our children so that they will be conformed to the image of Jesus. And this, too, is the goal of Christian discipleship, that we would be more and more like Jesus, that we would be growing. It's not always an upward path. There's ups and downs, hills and valleys, uh, and everything in between. But that's the ultimate goal, and that's our vision for parenting that we want to see come true. Catherine Reynolds Lewis wrote the book, The Good News About Bad Behavior, and in it she makes the argument that childhood and parenting have radically changed in the last few decades to the point where uh, far more children today struggle to manage their behavior. And here's what she says. We face a crisis of self-regulation, and by we, uh, she means parents and teachers who struggle daily with difficult behavior from the children in their lives. And she cites three reasons that are, in her opinion, contributing factors. One, how much children are allowed to play and just have the freedom of being a child. Number two, uh, their access to technology and social media has exploded. And three, children are too unemployed, is what she calls it, in the means that they don't have responsibilities in the home. They're not taught how to be responsible in little things in their home environment. And as a result of that, when they get out into the world, Uh, They don't know what to do either because nobody's expected anything of them or given them a framework within which to work. I want to begin this evening with Proverbs 29 and verse 17, a specific verse on discipline. And what I want to do is really lay a foundation of why discipline is important, uh, especially how it connects to authority, and then give some practical application to it and give you a number of points with that as I get toward the back half of the message. Proverbs 29 and verse 17 says, Discipline your child, and it will bring you peace of mind and give you delight. Discipline your child, and it will bring you peace of mind and give you delight. What is discipline? Discipline means to instruct or educate. It means to prepare by instructing in correct disciplines or or principles and habits. So you're basically providing the framework, helping them to walk in that framework, uh, correcting them when they get outside of it, and you're working toward the ultimate goal. It's the training of both physical and mental faculties in such a way that you bring about a more mature look at life and personhood. And the discipline we apply in parenting ought to be connected directly to and founded on the discipline that God applies to our lives as his children. So think about it this way. God's discipline is for his children. In other words, God disciplines 
us as a sign that we belong to him, as a symbol that he loves us, and we're not to lose heart when we experience it because it's for our good and it's for God's glory. It's evidence that we are his children, and it has to do with training and growth. So when God disciplines us, he's not disciplining us for the purpose of being punitive or to harm us, but rather to be corrective and to help us. And it ought to be the same way as we apply discipline to our children and to help us grow in our faith as God helps us to grow in him. So now for Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 3, the scripture says, For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, so that you won't grow weary and give up. In struggling against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, and you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly or lose heart when you are reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes every son he receives. Verse 7, endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, which all receive, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had human fathers discipline us and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time based on what seemed good to them, but he does it for our benefit so that we can share his holiness. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The first point I want to note here is that the purpose of discipline is to help avoid destruction in the lives of our children. The purpose of discipline is to help avoid destruction in the lives of our children. Now, we always need to put the scripture in context in order to get the main meaning of the passage that we're reading. And Hebrews 10 and Hebrews 11 are building up to Hebrews chapter 12. In Hebrews 10, he ends, the writer does, with a strong warning and a strong encouragement. Those who shrink away from God are destroyed, but those who endure will receive all of the promises of God. So we're back in that idea again of the evidence of our belonging to God and the blessing of what comes with that. Then Hebrews 11 is full of examples of faithful people. There's this list here in a reminder of the faith hall of fame of the people who endured, suffered, went through hardship, stood firm, and were faithful in the Lord. And then Hebrews 12 opens with encouragement to live a faithful life. In the first two verses, there's that reminder of how we're to run the race and where we are to place our vision and where we are to look. And discipline is expressed in both actions and words. Now look again here in verse 5 of the passage that we just read. He says, And you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly or lose heart when you are reproved by him. Discipline is expressed in both actions and words. 
words. Proverbs 3 and verse 11 is quoted here. Two different words are used, one which refers to discipline in actions and the other which refers to discipline in words. And we're told not to take light or to make light of the actions of God or to lose heart at God's rebuke. Now, here's how this applies to us as parents and as grandparents. As parents and grandparents, we bring both words and actions. We bring both warnings and consequences to our children in order to keep them moving in the right direction. Now, I'll get to this a little bit later on in the importance of consistency in discipline. But one of the key mistakes that parents make in their discipline is that they use a lot of words, but there's not much action that goes along with it. They make a lot of threats. They make a lot of warnings. They give a lot of heads up about what's going to happen if something goes in a way that it shouldn't in the behavior of the child. And then they never follow up on it. So I'll come back to that. God's punishment for us and God's discipline for us stems from his posture against sin. And his discipline stems from his love for us. So in other words, God is acting as our father, not primarily as our judge. And I think there's a nuance here because the word for discipline actually indicates training. It's the idea of child training. Under punishment, the sinner pays for his sins. But under discipline, Christ paid for our sins. And God's love for us as our Father is then applied to us. So what's the purpose of discipline? It's intended to correct faults and to develop holiness. That's what God does in our lives, in our relationship with Him, is He wants to correct our faults, deal with our sins, and develop holiness in our lives. Now there's a little story that illustrates about a a little piece of wood that once bitterly complained because its owner kept whittling away at it, gouging it, and making holes in it. But the one who was cutting it paid no attention to the sticks protest. He was making a flute out of that piece of wood, and he was too wise to stop when the wood complained so bitterly. So as this little story goes, the man said, little piece of wood without these rifts and holes and all this cutting You'd just be a stick forever. You'd be useless. But what I'm doing now may seem as if I'm destroying you, but instead it's going to make you into a flute. Your sweet music will charm the souls of many and comfort sorrowing hearts. My cutting you is the making of you, for only thus can you be a blessing in the world. You see, God is constantly shaping us. Whether or not we realize it, whether or not it's evident in the moment, whether or not it's pleasant in the moment, God is constantly shaping us. He's chastening us. He's dealing with us. He's disciplining us when it's necessary. And we're to be patient as we're under the good hand of God because we know that he has an ultimate purpose for us. And God's correction is not to make us pay for our sins. Uh, that was done once and for all at the cross. But rather, God's purpose is to shape us and to mold us to be like Jesus. And if we start with that foundation in our homes and with our children, that we're forming them, we're shaping them, we're helping them be who God created them to be, then that's going to change the outlook of what our discipline is all about. Second, 
The motivation for discipline is to express love. The motivation for discipline is to express love. Now let's go to verse 6. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes every son he receives. One of the most important expressions of love in your home is to be consistent in discipline. It's very important. And in fact, I think children in their heart of hearts, they long for it because if you don't care enough about them to provide boundaries and to give them some guidance and to put those guardrails in place, if you're not even invested enough to do that, that says that you're not all that deeply invested in their lives and you're not all that concerned about who they become as long as it's not an inconvenience to you. This is very important. There's an example time and again, of course, in the Old Testament of God's actions in terms of disciplining his children. Uh, You remember the Lord loved his people. He loved Judah. Uh, They lacked faith and they were disobedient. And what did God do? God brought discipline on them with the goal of convincing them that he loved them and to lead them to repentance. So God always had... Uh, an ultimate goal in mind for his discipline. And he does in our lives as well, to shape us to be like Jesus. And in it, it's an expression of love. So love comes from the Father. And to prove the point, the writer of Hebrews gives us a little sermon on Proverbs 3 and verse 11 and verse 12. Do not despise the Lord's instruction, my son, and do not loathe his discipline. For the, Lord's dis- for the Lord disciplines the one he loves just as a father disciplines the son in whom he delights. God is connected to us as our father, and we are connected to God as his sons and his daughters. So God has committed himself to us in this covenant relationship, and because he loves us, when we get off track and when we go astray, he loves us too much to leave us there. You are committed to a covenant relationship, to a lifelong relationship with your children. And when they go astray, you should love them enough not to leave them there. God says to us, in effect, I love you. I don't want you to either fall into or remain in your sin. And I am calling you to the way of life that is the good way. If we are not disciplined then we are not children of the living God. This is a very important point because when we do wrong as Christians, there's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives that brings conviction to us that we've done wrong. You know it. We've all experienced it. If you're a follower of Jesus, you know when you get off track, you think, say, or do things that are unholy and unhelpful and are not right in your relationship with God, you have that feeling of conviction in your life. Now, if you remain in an unrepentant state, what Hebrews chapter 12 is teaching is that God will bring discipline upon your life and he will even bring it to the point of bringing you home to be with him if that's necessary, but he will bring discipline in your life because he doesn't want you over there straying somewhere on your own, doing your own thing, going down the wrong path. He wants you to be keeping your eyes on Jesus as the author and the finisher of your faith. And he wants you to run the race with endurance. If there's no conviction and if there's no discipline that follows, 
then we can't have confidence that we are, in fact, children of the living God. You say, where'd you get that from? I got it from verse 8. But if you are without discipline, which all receive, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. The bottom line is that God's word says that he disciplines those he loves. He disciplines those who belong to him. Proverbs 13 and verse 24 says, The one who will not use the rod hates his son, but the one who loves him disciplines him diligently. So it's the love of God that is calling us to respond. And it works in the humble submission and trust of our Father. If we despise discipline, uh, Proverbs 15 and verse 10 says, Discipline is harsh for the one who leaves the path, and the one who hates correction will die. And when you're disciplining your children, you need to be thinking about the fact that the reason you're doing this is because you love them. However frustrated you are in the moment, you're doing this because you love them and you want them to walk on the right path. You've got a formative goal for them, not just to get on to them or to deal with or to show your frustration or whatever. That's, not, that's about you. But if you're disciplining, it's got to be about the child and your love for the child, and your goal for the child. And that changes our perspective when we begin uh, to think that way. A farmer had a weather vane on his barn on which it was written, God is love. And when friends asked him why, the farmer said, this is to remind me that no matter which way the wind blows, God is love. When the warm south wind with its soothing and balmy breezes brings showers of blessing, I'm reminded God is love. When the cold north wind of trial and testing sweeps down upon me, I'm reminded that God is love. When the west wind blows hard upon me with its punishing intent, I'm reminded that God is love. And when the east wind threatens to sweep away all that I have, God is love. It doesn't matter which way the wind's blowing, I can remember that God is love. It all not matter which way the wind is blowing in your home. Your children should know that God loves them and their parent loves them. They should know that without any question, that there is a love that remains no matter what it is. And God's correction is motivated by his love for us in our lives. And that's where our love should be for our children um, in the discipline that we exert. Then third, the goal of discipline is to teach obedience. The goal of discipline is to teach obedience. Now look at verse 9. Furthermore... We had human fathers discipline us, and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the Father of spirits and live? Now, I've had a conversation with a couple of you about this book. Um, I've not really used this book much uh, at all for this series, but I think it's a, a good and helpful tool. And it's Parenting, 14 Gospel Principles That Can Radically Change Your Family by Paul David Tripp. And if you want to come up after the service is over, if you didn't get that down, it's just basically Paul David Tripp's book on parenting. But there's one particular section in here that I think speaks to this whole issue of teaching obedience. And the reason it's important is because it relates to the subject of authority. And he's got a section in here on uh, chapter 8 about authority. And here's the principle. One of the foundational heart issues in the life of every child is authority. Teaching and modeling the protective beauty of authority is one of the foundations of good parenting. 
and he gives some examples in here, and he talks about 2 Corinthians 5 uh, particularly, and how it helps us to work to establish clear and loving and consistent biblical authority in the lives of our children. And here's the parallel that Tripp draws here. He says, if your children don't understand authority in the home, they're going to have a difficult time understanding authority in the world. And we see this rampantly in schools, in society, all around us. All the issues that we have ultimately come back to a spiritual issue, and they come back to issues of the home. And if we are not teaching our children how to deal with authority and how to obey when it's needed and to do what is right and good and responsible, they're always going to have trouble in their lives. You run into those people. They always blame their problems on somebody else. They always think that they're getting the short end of the stick. It's always an excuse about why they didn't do what they were supposed to do. Somebody else is always coming for them or against them or whatever. And it's just a life of problems. But if we can understand authority in our relationship with God and what it means to obey his word and then what it means to live it out in the world, then we are going to have a lot easier time in life. God teaches us submission and how to do the right thing for the right reason. Now, let me make this point, and I want you to hear this one clearly. We want to get our children to obey and to submit to authority, yes. However, we want to get our children beyond the point that they say, I have to, to where they say, I want to. This is a difference. It sounds subtle, but it's important. You can strong arm children and bring consequences to bear on their lives where it makes them miserable to the point that they're going to do it just because they have to do it because they're tired of the misery. Or you can shape their hearts and their lives and their minds and help them understand why they're doing what they're doing for their good and for the good of the family. And you can bring them to the point where they're not just saying, I have to, but I want to. Now, sometimes it's just good to just do it because you're supposed to do it. I mean, I got raised that way. It's like, why, why should I do that? Because I told you to do it. So why you all do it. And I did it because I knew there were going to be some consequences to bear if I didn't do it. So there's sometimes where we know what is best and right for our kids, and we don't have time to give them some long explanation of why it's right and good at the moment. But in general, our posture toward our children should not be just to get them to submit for the point of submitting, but to get them to understand healthy authority that is grounded in love, rooted in love, and applied with some consistency. And the result of discipline always is short-term pain, but it's long-term gain. Notice what verse 10 says. For they disciplined us for a short time based on what seemed good to them, but he does it for our benefit so that we can share in his holiness. You know what I've seen sometimes in parents? Sometimes we avoid applying discipline because we are sympathetic to the emotional response of our children and we don't want to hurt them and we just don't want to deal with it. Because it's going to be painful at the moment. And I'm not just talking about corporal punishment. I'm going to talk about that at the end of this uh, session this evening. But I'm talking about any kind of discipline. We, we know that they're going to whine. They're going to carry on. They're probably going to cry about it. They're going to have some excuse why we shouldn't do it or whatever at times. And we feel that. And we're like, I'm just not going to deal with it. 
and then we end up paying longer term consequences because we weren't willing to deal with it in the moment when we should have taken the courage to do that. So here there's an acknowledgement of pain saying that all discipline seems not to be pleasant in the moment, but it's good. And further, in the process, those who have been trained by it yield the fruit of righteousness. So this is what we want. We want to yield the fruit of righteousness according to verse 11. The word trained in the ancient language is a word from the world of athletics. As an athlete is trained by some agony, so are we trained in the discipline of God as God's spiritual athletes. God has a purpose for training us. So we've got to ask the question, is the fruit of righteousness evident in our lives? I want to share something from the Christian educator and author Howard Hendricks from a lot of years ago. And he cautioned parents not to bribe or to threaten their children to get them to obey. He said what they need is firm, loving, and at times painful discipline. Hendricks recalls being in a home where a bright-eyed grade schooler sat across him from the table. And her mother said, Sally, eat your potatoes in a, in a proper parental tone. Sally, if you don't eat your potatoes, you won't get any dessert. And then Hendricks said, Sally winked at him. Sure enough, mother removed the potatoes and brought Sally some ice cream. He saw this as a case of parents obeying their children rather than children obeying their parents. And he said, many parents are afraid to do what they know is best for their youngsters. They're afraid their children will turn against them and think that they don't love them. And Hendricks said, your primary concern is not what they think of you now, but what they will think of you 20 years from now. And his point was, that child knew that the mother was not going to follow through on what she said she was going to do. So she just waited her out. Children are very patient. They're very smart. They're very manipulative. And at times they, they can be almost dangerous in their manipulation because they're angling for what they want. And you say, well, how could that be? Because we're just like them in our sinful hearts. We do this in life a lot of times ourselves. And we want to help them get to where they need to be. So as loving parents, do we have a long-term vision like our loving Heavenly Father has for us? Not are you afraid of what they're going to do in this moment, but are they going to respect you 20 years from now because of how you shape them and discipline them in the process? So here's what discipline does. Discipline matures, educates, and strengthens as it molds us into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Let me repeat that. Discipline matures, educates, and strengthens as it molds us into the likeness of Jesus Christ. That's God's discipline for us. That's our goal for disciplining our children. So now let me move for the last part of the message to some specific uh, application principles of discipline. And I'm going to give you these kind of rapid fire. Uh, otherwise, we'd be here for a long time. And I, I want to move through these so you have them and then we can discuss them later if need be. First of all, give your children a good example. Give them a good example to follow. If you're constantly bucking authority and you're always, you know, proverbially trying to stick it to the man, 
and you've got that kind of rebellious kind of an attitude in your life in your home, that's going to, your children are going to get that pretty fast, and they're going to pick up on it, and you're going to be the recipient of it, and you didn't really want to be the recipient of it. So teach them what it means to be responsible and respectful and, uh, and obedient and faithful in life and the things that you need to do, even if you don't feel like doing it. I'd say to you, start early. It's a big mistake a lot of parents make because if you wait until they are older, you will have a much bigger challenge. I can tell you it's a lot, e- a lot easier to shape and discipline beginning when they're small and young from the very beginning, age appropriately, than it is to try to deal with them when they're 14 and they're looking you in the eye. And they've got their own attitude and their own thoughts and their own uh, direction in life. Clearly communicate expectations. Number three, clearly communicate expectations. Explain what you want your child to do and why and give them the consequences of what's going to happen when they disobey. And do not be like Sally's mother who removed the potatoes and brought the ice cream anyway. You want to let them know. If you're going to give them consequences, is it not only right and fair that they know what they're going to be if they, if they cross the boundary? So clearly communicate that. And then, fourth, be consistent in your discipline. Inconsistency will undermine discipline more quickly than anything else. Where you're saying one thing and you're doing another. Now, here's where I see this come in a lot. Um, and maybe it's, it tends to be at times because it, it can be different depending on the mother or the father and their personality. But at times it can be uh, from the mother's side as well. Because uh, mothers tend to be more compassionate than fathers at times. And as a result of that, I've been around families and dealt with families in discipline, uh, the subject of discipline, where the mother talked a lot and was just constantly on the child, just constantly on the child, constantly on the child, telling them what was going to happen, tell them how bad it was going to be, tell them how bad they were going to suffer if they did a certain thing, and it never happened. Well, kids are smart. They're very wise to this, and it can be the father as well, um, but, but regardless of which parent it is, Um, if you're just always talking and your words and your actions don't come together, they know it and it's not going to get anything but worse as you go along. And then I would say to you, present a united front if you're married. If this is a mother and father in the home dealing with this, or even if it's not, um, there needs to be a united front. And you need to agree on the methods and the practices that you're going to implement in your home. And they don't need to work one parent against the other. So some of you have, who have those sweet little baby children right now, you think they're the most wonderful cherubs of all, and you got the best child there's ever been. That little child, when they get old enough to figure it out, they're already probably doing it, but when they get old enough to figure it out, they're going to pit one parent against the other one. And they're going to leverage the weaker parent against the stronger parent. And they're going to do it, and they're going to do it again, even though they got in trouble for doing it the last time. And that's going to be something you got to deal with. So the sooner you shut that down... And they know that it doesn't matter if they go and ask their father because their father's going to say what your mother said, and that's what we're doing. And there's a consistency to that. That's going to help you. So be united as you do that. And then the next one, uh, number six, uh, don't allow your children to rule the home. I don't know if this is particularly an American problem or it's probably true in other cultures as well, but we've grown to this place where uh, there's child-centered homes where it all revolves around the children. Everything's about the children. Well, you got to balance this out. But I came up in the time when there was a a parent table, an adult table, and there was a kid table. And the kid table was only to be heard from 
when the parent table wanted to hear from them, when the adults wanted to hear from them. And it was a very clear division. Like the, the kids were not ruling the deal. The kids were there and they were properly cared for, loved, all that stuff. But the kids weren't ruling the roost. There's a lot of homes that the kids just flat run it. They're the one that's in authority. And you got trouble coming if your child rules the home. Don't allow your children to rule the home. There is a family structure that is prescribed by God. And your children need to be reminded on occasion what that family structure is and why it's important. And it'll help you in the long run. And then I'd say to you, do not discipline in anger. Number seven, do not discipline in anger. You, now this is the hardest one probably I might give you tonight. But you will say and do things you do not mean and you should not say and do or mean. We've all been there. If you've got older kids, you've had to apologize somewhere along the way. I've had to apologize just because I just flat got mad and I had hit my limit. In whatever particular moment it was, I'd hit my limit and I said something in a way I shouldn't have said it or I brought out discipline in a way that I shouldn't have because it was in anger. And we've all been there. So this is not a perfect process, but all I'm trying to, to encourage you to do is stop and think about it and proceed accordingly. So that means if you're really just frustrated, you're at your breaking point, you're tired, you've had enough of it, and you're feeling angry about it, it's okay to delay discipline as well. It's all right to say, we're going to deal with this a little bit later on. I want you to just go sit somewhere at the moment. It's going to be for your good, and it's going to be for my good as well. And then we're going to deal with it in a few minutes here when everybody's a little bit calmer, a little bit cooler in the situation, and, and that'll be helpful. Uh, don't discipline uh, in anger. And then correct with gentleness. This kind of goes with the last one. Um, I think this is eight, if I'm still counting right. But you want to correct with gentleness. And again, this is because we're, we're trying to shape them. We're not trying to be punitive. We're trying to get them to understand it for themselves. And as you correct with gentleness, they're going to know that you love them and, and you're trying to take them in the direction you want to, want to take, it, take them in. And then number nine, uh, utilize age-appropriate discipline. Uh, what works for a three-year-old is not going to work for a 13-year-old. It's different. And some parents, not all, but some parents have a hard time with age-appropriate discipline because they still, still see their kids when they're 15, 16, 17 like they saw their kids when they were five. And that's not going to work very well for you. You've got to grow with them and grow your discipline with them and utilize age-appropriate discipline. And that's going to differ based on the personality of the child, the age of the child, um, the compliance of the child. There's going to be a lot uh, that is going to go into that. And then number 10, implement action-appropriate discipline. Implement action-appropriate discipline. Major on the majors, minor on the minors. Don't go over the top on minor things and don't ignore major things. So you got to apply some wisdom as to if whether or not it's major or minor and implement action-appropriate discipline as you do that, consistent with what they've done and what they need to experience as a consequence of it. Number 11, use negative and positive discipline. In other words, catch them doing right and recognize it. If you encourage them when they're doing right, they're probably going to listen a little bit better to you when they're doing wrong. 
because they know that you're noticing when they do well. So let's say, for example, that you've had a particular problem with, with your child and uh, you've had to apply some consequences to it. It's not been a not pretty situation and, and it frustrated you, but you did it and, and you brought the discipline to bear. Well, be on the lookout if it's something that you've continued to deal with when they do it right after that encourage them and help them know that you see it when they do right and then I want to deal for a few moments as I told you I would with uh, the subject of corporal punishment or uh, spanking whichever uh, you want to call it now let me say that I think I grew up in an era and some of y'all did as well where this was in my opinion anyway over applied all right I've been whooped a few times I, not just a few times, I've been whooped a bunch of times. Probably not nearly as many times as I deserved it. Um, I've been spanked twice at school with paddles. I deserve much more than that. I was just being transparent about the whole thing. So I get this subject. However, I think we are now living in an age when it's completely underapplied. And I wanted to speak to this for a moment. And I want to speak from um, an excerpt from uh, Focus on the Family asking the question, is spanking biblical? And the writer is a, a writer by the name of Danny Huerta. And he says, to begin the discussion, it must be made clear if it is used, it's never to be used in an abusive way or in anger or a way that's disproportionate to the offense. It can be effective. Some children respond very well to it. Some children don't respond to it well at all. That would be the case Certainly in our home, when our children were younger, um, one of our children, um, you could uh, apply this as many times and as often as you wanted to, and the obstinance was going to be just as strong as when you started. One of our other children, if you applied it, you could just talk about it. There could just be like the wind blowing that there's possibly going to be a spanking applied. And there was an absolute meltdown of the whole situation, and that was it. That's all you had to do. You never even had to apply it. So this depends on the child and what their perspective is. Proverbs 13 and verse 24 says, Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Discipline in Proverbs 13 and verse 24 is a reference, of, as I've already noted, to the parent's role to teach, guide, correct, and love the children. And the illustration that Werther gives in this particular discussion is that in ancient Hebrew culture, Sheep were an important part of the agricultural landscape. So you look at the biblical accounts, we see that regularly. Uh, shepherds had an important role in guiding the sheep along the path, also protecting them from predators, and the application is relevant. Here's the relevancy of it. The shepherd's tools were a staff to guide his sheep and a rod to redirect them. Now obviously the concept of spanking comes from the rod. But the other side of discipline, the staff, brings us the most tools to be effective in our discipline toolkit. So in other words, in their jobs, shepherds used the staff far more than they used the rod as a form of protecting and guiding the sheep. And where to makes the argument that we should do likewise. In Psalm 23, for example, the rod and the staff are considered to be comforting. And he goes on to say, part of discipline is establishing boundaries, and boundaries are comforting for everyone. They're especially comforting to children who are trying to figure out the world and test those limits of authority. 
A shepherd uses the staff to provide small corrections along the way, allowing him to keep his sheep on the path. And he says the motto applies to parenting as well. Think about your discipline style. Do you guide and redirect along the way, or do you tolerate, 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 and then explode? If it's the latter, you may want to take a cue from the shepherds. Providing that comforting correction and encouragement along the way takes time and intentionality, but the payoff is huge. When you provide that correction often and early in life, your children will very much likely need less correction as they mature. Rarely a shepherd needs to use his rod to correct or to protect his sheep. It's not punishment out of anger, but rather a protective mechanism to keep the sheep from danger. It's correction out of concern and love. So here's the point that he makes. Many people get stuck on the rod in the passage, but the focus is not on the rod. The focus is on discipline. And Scripture makes it clear that discipline is done as loving guidance, correction, and teaching, and not as punishment. And keep in mind, we're all highly imperfect beings. And then where to closes with this. He says, our goal in parenting isn't raising perfect children, but rather to develop kids who know how to make good decisions driven by godly wisdom. So according to him, in this Focus on the Family article, and I think according to the scripture, it may be appropriate when a child is putting themselves in an unsafe situation or when they're deliberately defiant and disobedient or they're severely disrespectful. But he says, however, it is not appropriate when a child is simply being childish, they're being impulsive, they had an accident, they're just acting like kids act. That, that's not the point of the whole thing. The point is if they're putting themselves in a position of danger, they're being directly defiant and disobedient, or they're being severely disrespectful. So my word for you is, not a dogmatic word about it, other than to say, if you are going to implement it, proceed with caution. Um, never ever do so out of a spirit of anger um, and it ages out pretty quick also and if you've not applied this as a form of discipline and you don't want to apply it don't start when they're 14 that's like a really bad idea it, it would be something that would have been when they were younger and it would be for those specific reasons that I mentioned but again proceed with caution. And of course, there are times when it's not appropriate at all. We have different home situations. We have children that are in uh, different care situations, and it depends on their parents and who's raising them, who's taking care of them. It may not even be legal. It may not be something that's appropriate. All those things have to be taken into account and do so wisely because we wanted, wouldn't want to do anything ever that would be harmful to a child or that would be too heavy-handed. We would want to do something that would honor God and ultimately would help them. Because here's the bottom line. We are seeking to discipline for results. That's what we want. And we are to know our children. Every child is different. Each child will struggle with different things and excel in different things. We want our children to learn the Lord's way. We want to dedicate our children to God. And then our prayer would be that if we train them up, then when they're old, uh, they'll not depart from the way, that they'll walk in the way. So let me give you this as a summary statement, and then I'm going to pray. In summary, 
the purpose of discipline is to help avoid destruction in the lives of our children. That's the purpose. We want to help them not put themselves in harm's way, spiritually or physically. Number two, the motivation for discipline is to express love always. If it's anything short of that, it's, it's not godly discipline. And number three, the goal of discipline is to teach obedience. And then I gave you some points of application for how to practically do that. Now, let me just say to you, this is more an art than it is a science. And the reason it's more an art than it is a science is because every parent's personality varies in some way or, or another. Every child's personality varies in some way or another. Every circumstance varies, and you've got to pray for wisdom. So I cannot overstate the importance of praying for your kids, with your kids, and asking God to give you wisdom on how to best discipline your kids. And that's what's most important, how you discipline your kids. It's not ultimately your business of how somebody else disciplines their kids. You've got a responsibility for your kids. You're going to answer to a loving Heavenly Father for how you've disciplined your kids. And you want to have done it as well as you knew how, faults and all, and just say, Lord, I did the best I could with what you gave me. And um, I tried to be faithful with it. And ultimately, I'm, I'm not responsible uh, for how, what they do with it, but I am responsible for how I have shaped and trained them. So I want to pray for us. Uh, we're coming uh, long on our time. And then after I pray, uh, I am going to stay up here for a few minutes. If any of you have questions about what I said, especially as it relates to the last point, I'll be glad to talk with you about that, and uh, we'll wrap things up. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you tonight that you care enough about us to discipline us, that you don't just leave us with our decisions. You don't leave us with our desires. You love us, and you walk with us every step of the way. So I pray for every parent and grandparent who listens to this message that our desire would be to be like you, uh, to, to love as you love, to discipline as you discipline, and to guide our children and grandchildren toward maturity and the faith and toward usefulness in this world and this life as they deal with authority and they deal with, uh, with uh, doing the right thing in their vocations and in their homes. Uh, help us to give them good models. And help them to know at the end of it all that there's a God who loves them and there are family members who love them, uh, unshakingly love them, uh, and have their best interests in mind. And we thank you for that. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.